This is a special branded episode from our sponsor, Pfizer. Imagine, just as your life's future begins to come into focus, a devastating cancer diagnosis broadsides you, throwing everything into question. I'm Kay McDonald. At age 28, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. A Southern California native, Kay had always been a free spirit, perfectly happy living in the moment. Then, at 23 years old, she met the man she would marry, and she began thinking about long-term goals. Soon, they were talking about starting a family. And then their plans, their lives, were rattled to the core with a devastating breast cancer diagnosis. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I do have the understanding that it's very unlikely that I will be able to have my own children. That was really hard because, like, everything's changed. Like, you have to do the hormone treatment, the suppression and everything. I was, like, 20, I was 28 still, like, when I went into menopause. It's hard being in menopause. It's hard, like, feeling like I'm in an old woman's body. According to estimates from the American Society of Clinical Oncology, more than 270,000 men and women will be diagnosed with invasive breast cancer in 2019 alone. Of those... More than 42,000 may die. On a broader scale, the National Cancer Institute estimates that over 1.7 million new cases of cancer are diagnosed annually. Cancer is a disease that touches all of us. It's a disease that does not discriminate. And in addition to the fact that treatment can be very expensive, it can often be extraordinarily difficult to endure, regardless of its degree of success. Traditional treatments have relied on a one-size-fits-all approach chemotherapy, surgery, radiation. But because the disease manifests itself differently in everyone, these treatments may only be moderately effective, and the results leave something to be desired. That desire is for better, smarter treatments, but also for payment models that make them more accessible and affordable for the patient and, ideally, generate savings for the overarching healthcare system. I'm David Himmel. In this special edition of Pulse Check, a branded episode by Pfizer, we're looking at how leading companies and patient advocacy groups are creating a more personalized approach to oncological care. It's an approach that focuses on value, the value of human life, and value from a financial perspective, the value to society. We'll have a conversation with two oncology leaders who are powering change on this issue, Andy Schmelz of Pfizer and Patricia Goldsmith of Cancer Care. They'll offer a first-hand look at some of the obstacles that prevent the right treatments from being accessible to all and how they are working to overcome them. My guests are from different ends of oncology care, but bring a combined wealth of knowledge to the subject that offers a better understanding of what the future of cancer treatment and healthcare in America can look like. Patricia Goldsmith is CEO of Cancer Care, a 75-year-old national patient advocacy organization that provides practical and emotional support to anyone who has been impacted by cancer at no cost to its beneficiaries. We serve all cancer types, and we serve anyone, the patient themselves, the caregiver, the bereaved, 
children. So we're there to provide counseling, individual, face-to-face, one-on-one on the phone, group support, telephonic groups, groups online, as well as financial support to afford their medications, babysitting services, housekeeping services, a lot of requests for transportation support to and from treatment or participation in clinical trials, a variety of education, free wigs, free breast prosthesis, many meal programs. What I like to say is cancer care will try and give you everything other than a bill. Trish, what from your perspective are some of the most unique challenges that cancer patients face in combating this disease? Where does today's care fall short? I would say that the biggest challenge in a very broad sense is access. Access to support services to help the individual, the caregiver, or even the loved ones through that treatment journey, through healing, through recovery. Access to appropriate coverage without high or unaffordable out-of-pockets. Access to the medications and therapies that the physician deems best for them, as opposed to the rigorous process of step therapies, very restrictive formularies, as well as copays and deductibles that can be a huge challenge. And just the bureaucracy and challenge of trying to navigate through the insurance system. And this comes at a time when individuals potentially are at one of the worst moments in their life. They're trying to figure out how to manage through treatment, hoping for a cure, hoping that they will survive this disease. And yet all of these barriers are in front of them. And that's where we come in to help them to break down those barriers and support them as much as possible. So you you do this every day. You get up, you come into work, and this is what you deal with every day. So you've got an insider's perspective on things. But you're also a cancer survivor. Did you find yourself in the same pool as them? I will tell you what was very challenging for me, and many clients face this, and that was making treatment decisions that were right for me. My physician, who was an outstanding surgeon, sat down with me and said, okay, we're going to do this surgery, then we're going to talk about this chemo and this radiation. And as wonderful as he was, that didn't necessarily reflect where I was at this stage of my life, and especially because this diagnosis came out of the blue 10 days before I was going to start this position. I wasn't afraid of dying, but I certainly was concerned about being able to go through the treatment and be there for the organization that I had agreed to lead. And so what I think I share with most other individuals is and shared was how do I make the best decisions for me, particularly when everything is not black and white? And people struggle with that quite a bit. The American Cancer Society reports that in 2014... Out-of-pocket costs for cancer patients neared $4 billion. The U.S. healthcare system as a whole spent almost $90 billion on cancer-related care during the same year. Deciding on a treatment can be daunting. Even if a chosen path of care puts the cancer into remission, there is still the risk of side effects that come from traditional treatments. Side effects that can leave the patient feeling worse than before treatment began. Surviving a cancer diagnosis is one thing. Quality of life is another. And paying for treatment is not cheap or even possible for many Americans. Now, let's reflect that with the fact that a recent study stated that less than 50% of the U.S. population, if faced with an out-of-pocket expense of greater than $500 in a month, would not have it. That's sobering and frightening. And in terms of what they do, it's 
we asked. We asked these 3,000 patients. And in some circumstances, it was chilling. They cut their medication in half. They take it every other day. They borrow money from family, borrow money from friends. They put the costs on a credit card that they can't pay. They cut back on healthy groceries. Certainly, things like vacation and other sorts of things go out the window. And there were, I think, 13% that said they declared bankruptcy. So this is pretty sobering. There's a human toll here, and it's not going to change unless these issues are solved. The impact is increasingly you're going to see more medical bankruptcy. You're going to see people walking away from treatment. We see it now. We have clients that say to us, I cannot afford this. I'm just going to go home and die. The patient advocacy community isn't the only key voice in this debate, and the solution has many layers. We can begin peeling those layers away with biopharmaceutical manufacturers developing treatments that more effectively combat the disease and benefit the patient overall. Andy Schmelz is global president and general manager of Pfizer Oncology. I sat down with Andy at Pfizer headquarters in New York to find out what role industry has to play in overcoming some of these same hurdles. So, Andy, what is the private sector doing to advance these more effective treatments? David, it's great to be here with you. Cancer is a disease that's very personal. Everybody, everybody knows someone who's been affected by cancer, uh, someone, a family member, a close friend. At Pfizer, we're driven to deliver breakthroughs that change patients' lives. Our goal is to change these cancer stories from stories that end in loss to stories that end in life. There's certainly a lot more unmet need. We're really just scratching the tip of the iceberg, but we're leveraging these scientific, these technological advances. We're leveraging insights from patients that are only possible with new technologies to disrupt the way we develop drugs and to make the process more efficient, more reliable, more patient-focused, and ultimately to benefit people with cancer. So what progress has been made in treating cancer? Let's take lung cancer, for example. Lung cancer, we used to think, is just one type of cancer. We've learned over time that there are over 50 different oncogenic drivers or genetic mutations that occur that lead to what we call today lung cancer. Not all lung cancer is caused by people who smoke. In fact, we know that there's a specific genetic translocation in the ALK gene that presents in about 3% of people with lung cancer. This finding only occurred about 12 years ago, and very quickly, based on that ability to kind of have a precision-based, a personalized approach, a medicine was able to be developed and now is available. Can you also talk about breast cancer and the advancements that were made there? For many decades, uh, for the most prevalent form of breast cancer, which is hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative breast cancer, 60% of women present with this type of breast cancer. It was treated for decades with both chemotherapy and then what we call hormone therapies. But when women have failed on either or both of those types of therapies, there was really not much left. With new science emerging, there was the identification that you use a cell cycle inhibitor in combination with hormone therapy. A cell cycle inhibitor, I like to refer to kind of a stun gun, that stuns the cancer replication cycle and then allows the hormonal therapy to work as it should otherwise. The advent of these new therapies, cell cycle inhibitors in combination with the hormone therapies, really has led to a huge advance for women with this type of breast cancer. Let's talk about some of that real-world evidence that's being used to develop better treatments. 
Cancer is a complicated and personal disease, affecting and manifesting itself differently in every case. How does data from one person inform the needs of another? Real-world evidence and tapping into new data sources is extremely powerful. You know, historically, we could only look retrospectively at, say, insurance claims data. And now with technology emerging, with the advent of electronic health records, uh, that's why your doctor's typing in the office when he's in there or she's in there visiting with you. But building that database of many, many more patients, not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of patients, really creates a data set that then can be tapped into and mined to enable us to develop insights, but most importantly, to develop new hypotheses about the types of medicines in specific sub-cohorts of patients that might be relevant and most applicable in treating cancer and other diseases. And in cancer specifically, it's already proven to be an enhancement, an improvement to the way cancer is treated. So virtually every major industry is undergoing a digital transformation, and healthcare is, of course, no exception. What are some of the, the most impactful digital trends disrupting healthcare and oncology? And then how is Pfizer leveraging this new frontier? It's a very exciting time in the healthcare space and specifically in, in oncology in terms of advances in technology, digital technologies, whether it's artificial intelligence, machine-based learning, and real-world evidence. We can really disrupt the way we do drug discovery and development in terms of looking for new targets that are based on biomarkers and having databases of these oncogenic drivers that can help us focus our efforts in discovering new medicines. One type of recent treatment options are biosimilars. Biosimilars are an equally effective and safe treatment, but 30% less expensive on average compared to originator biologic medicines. Think of them like generic medicines and brand name medicines. The difference being that most biologics and biosimilars are administered in a hospital setting and cannot be purchased at the pharmacy. Also, where generic drugs are the exact same as the brand names they mimic, biosimilars are not exact. They're highly similar. They're made from living cells, which makes it impossible to copy any original biologic exactly, as can be done with a generic chemical therapy. Biosimilars play an important role in the future of cancer treatment because they help increase patients' access to potentially life-changing therapies. What's more is that they can drive market competition, lowering the cost of care. In fact, having access to and using biosimilars can save patients and the U.S. healthcare system as much as $54 billion over the next decade. A recent study from the Pacific Research Institute found that patient-accessible biosimilars saved the U.S. $253.8 million in just one year. Andy, what's your take on it? Biosimilars have an important role to play as innovative biologic medicines you know, lose exclusivity, their patents expire. We can really save the U.S. healthcare system significant resources that can be redeployed in a more efficient way. The system works very well with oral medicines, with pills, oral medications, and we're looking for the same type of uptake. As of this past summer, 23 biosimilars have been approved by the FDA, but only nine are accessible to patients in the U.S. Biosimilars make up a mere 2.3% of the U.S. market, and it's costing us a lot of money. PRI's analysis says that if the market share grew to 75%, the U.S. would save up to $71.7 billion over 10 years. 
So with all of their promise, why do biosimilars make up such a small percent of the U.S. market? Biosimilars are relatively new. And I think the treatment community and the different disease areas, specifically, you know, oncology, it's fledgling as well, are still learning how to use them. Not learning how to use them because they're in any way dissimilar from the medicines that they're comfortable using, but in terms of the reimbursement mechanism in the system. We need new policies to help address this. You know, for example, you could eliminate or reduce out-of-pocket costs for biosimilars to provide an incentive for use. It's also important to understand that the way that reimbursement for biologics, often administered in a hospital or in a physician's office or an infusion center, is different than medicines that you pick up at a pharmacy. And it's important that we address that head-on and provide incentives for physicians and for hospitals to utilize biosimilars. How does that get done? We need to work for better access to cancer medicines, more affordability in terms of the insurance benefit design to cancer medicines. At the end of the day, in the current healthcare paradigm, there's many more hurdles than we'd like to see. And certainly, we at Pfizer are committed to stepping forward, to partnering with health plans, with integrated delivery networks, whoever we need to partner with, patient organizations, to enable people who need our medicines to get our medicines. It's a work in process. To that end, there is growing dialogue and interest among industry leaders and policymakers in looking at innovative payment models. And much of those conversations are centered around value-based agreements. Talk about their potential to deliver a more efficient payment model that also drives better outcomes for patients. The current healthcare paradigm has many, many challenges. And one of the core challenges is that the system is based on what I'll call volume rather than value. Physician services, diagnostic tests, and medicines are all paid for and reimbursed based on the volume of activity, the number of services provided, the number of tests that are run, the number of pills that are sold. That's really not what's in the best interest of society. We need a system that shifts to value what we're striving for is better outcomes for patients. We're looking for physician services. We're looking for diagnostic tests and for medicines that deliver better outcomes for patients, better outcomes in terms of better quality of life, elimination or eradication of disease, longer survival. Certainly, Pfizer is committed to stepping forward, to partnering with all the different stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem, insurance plans, integrated delivery networks, pharmacy benefit managers, individual physicians and patients to help solve this current paradigm. Trish, what kind of changes do patients need to see from the industry and policymakers to keep that work progressing? In general, industry recognizes the importance of this and is very, very supportive. I think many, many organizations, Pfizer being one, have very robust patient advocacy arms that support the work of cancer care and many other good organizations. I suspect even from the perspective of policymakers, they, like I, probably don't have, and I didn't until I came to cancer care, have an appreciation for what these things mean to individuals when they're facing that diagnosis, the transportation support, being able to pay for pain medication, being able to have a, someone bring a meal to them. These are all, they sound little, but they mean a great deal with respect to adherence and quality of life. So in your opinion, how do we 
change the minds of, of the policymakers? I think by telling the stories of patients and by empowering patients to tell their stories. And I suspect that many individuals and policymakers haven't themselves experienced it. So it really takes telling that story. A story like Kay's. So Trish, tell me, what's at stake then for cancer patients and their families if innovative medicines are not made more accessible? What's at stake is everything. Everything that we hope for. If you were to go around the world and talk to, say, 5,000 individuals, probably virtually every one of those individuals would have either themselves experienced cancer, a loved one, or a friend, or potentially lost an individual to cancer. And every one of them would probably say the same thing. They want hope. They want hope for a longer life. They want hope for a better quality of life. They want hope even for a cure. And there's only one industry where that's going to come from, and that is the pharmaceutical and the biotech industry. It isn't going to happen with better surgical robots or better radiation oncology or the next generation of IMRT. And it isn't even going to happen with what's discovered in the labs of the great cancer centers in this country because it won't be brought to market unless the pharmaceutical and biotech industry thrives and flourishes. So everything is at stake if we don't have access. So, Andy, what's being done about it? What progress have you seen in the nearly two decades you've been at Pfizer? Cancer is very personal to me. My story is not different from many other people's out there where people close to me in my life, people that I care a lot about, have suffered the consequences and loss from cancer. Those stories sit with me every day, as I know they do with all my colleagues within Pfizer that work in oncology. This is more than just a job. I've seen tremendous progress in medicine during my time here. We're now able to manage conditions types of cancers that were once terminal. When I first started working in oncology a decade ago, Pfizer had two medicines. Now we have 22 medicines. The science is bubbling. It's an exciting time. But there is so much unmet need in cancer, so much unmet need. And I'm optimistic that working together with other stakeholders in this cancer healthcare ecosystem, that we can continue to see a lot more breakthroughs, more curative therapies, and most importantly, bring hope to the cancer patients that are out there. Recognizing that there are still hurdles to get over, treatments have improved, and folks like you and Andy are working hard to continue that improvement. But Trish, what does survivorship look like now? Are you seeing that more and more of your families are coming in with their cancer in remission? Or is it just prolonging the treatment cycle? And then what does the quality of life look like as the treatments improve and become more accessible and affordable? We know the following, that individuals are certainly living longer, and that's great news. But oftentimes, it's not just the physical after effects of the diagnosis and the treatment, and some of those can be long-lasting, lifelong neuropathy, lymphedema, and other things as an example. If you look for, you know, sort of the, the one shining star in all of it that came through was those that are survivors take so much joy in their life, the associations that they have, their loved ones, and the small things. And I can tell you, I personally can attest to that as well. Of course. What about professionally? What hurdles have you seen overcome professionally, perhaps through collaboration with other organizations? 
I will say that I've been blessed in five and a half years to see hundreds of examples of how cancer care partners with and works with organizations like Pfizer and others. Cancer care is a very, very collaborative organization. And if we could have similar collaborations as we do with industry, with other sectors such as the insurance industry, we would be a far stronger organization. But I consider many of the collaborations that we have with Pfizer and other organizations to be models of what it should look like. David, healthcare is absolutely a team sport. Everyone needs to come together. All the stakeholders, the biopharmaceutical companies, the health plans and payer organizations, physicians, the integrative delivery networks, and the patients and patient organizations, we have to work together to find better creative solutions. We have to break down barriers that prevent people from getting the best care possible. Everything is very abstract. I don't know what my life is going to look like, you know, two, three five, maybe 10 years from now, I do hope that I will get to a point in my life where I will be okay with this outcome. Scientists are continuously working to find better treatments. It's critical that Kay and the millions of others living with cancer today will be able to access and afford them. It's going to take more than just science, more than just policy, more than just one biopharmaceutical manufacturer, more than one patient advocate to get patients what they need and provide much-needed financial relief to the U.S. healthcare system. But it's possible, that's for sure. And possibilities can inspire action. This special episode of Pulse Check is brand content paid for by Pfizer, one of the world's premier biopharmaceutical companies and produced in conjunction with Politico's brand studio, Politico Focus. Politico's editorial team was not involved in the production of this episode. <laughs>